Hey everybody, what's happening? This is Kent Chevalier, author of False Jesus. So glad that you decided to join me today again for this False Jesus podcast. I want to give you a heads up of where we're going in this particular podcast episode. So the first thing that we're going to do is we are going to listen to the newsletter episode entitled Twitter Theology. I'm going to unpack what that means, so hopefully you enjoyed that. And then I told you in every one of these episodes, I want to include some creative content from yours truly. It happens to be a poem this time around entitled Fighting for Fatherhood that I wrote a few months back. And then third, I want you to hear about an organization that I believe in, that I'm involved in, and man, I would just love for you to know about it and possibly be a part of it as well. I want to invite you to learn more about it. So that's where we're headed in today's podcast episode. So I'm glad that you are here with me. This is going to be a marathon of building relationships, having conversation together. So I'm glad that you're here. Here we go. started this false Jesus journey by drinking from an already open can of cultural controversy. I addressed the question, why does God hate gay people? This one question is an example of hundreds I've received and conversations that I've had in the last 25 years. I've wondered in the last few years, though, if the questions are getting harder and more complex with the ever-changing culture, or am I just getting more aware of the grace required to answer such complex issues while still sharing God's truth at hand? Jesus was the master at this. Jesus was full of grace and truth. See John 1.14. He had this beautiful ability to share the truth with a person while extending grace in a way that left that person feeling loved and cared for at the end of their conversation. Jesus modeled for us the importance of lacing the truth with love. When it comes to Christianity and our social media culture today, I believe this aspect of Jesus' character is generally missing. Truth without relationship. Truth without conversation. Truth without the opportunity to ask clarifying questions. Truth without looking into another person's eyes to feel what it is that they're really saying. Truth without hearing the tone of grace. Last month I shared that Twitter theology is ruining generations for the true person of Jesus Christ. And there are so many layers of what I mean by that, but this relational component is one aspect. Jesus showed us the value of relational currency when it comes to sharing truth. And we have to recognize that the currency of our social media feeds has drastically changed the way we do relationships. Let me give you a few examples. Number one, people no longer need to come over or to call on the phone to tell each other what they just experienced. They just post it on their feed for their friends and their family to discover on their own. Secondly, people feel relationally connected to a pastor, an artist, a celebrity, because they've seen pictures of their family or watched video clips of their sermon. Third, people cancel a person based on what a, quote, friend said about that person on their opinion page. Canceled without conversation, connected relationally without ever meeting in person, sharing life-changing experiences without ever talking. 
See, I'm not obviously against social media. I'm using it right now. I, I love so many aspects of Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and now Substack. I'm too old for TikTok and Snapchat doesn't make any sense to me. Truth be told, I think I might be on these platforms way too much. I wonder if I'm addicted. Sorry, I digress from my point. Twitter theology has replaced the innate need for candid conversations about complex cultural issues. The sad perceived reality is that Christians yell, quote, truth on social media and on street corners and on television. Now, I'm not saying that these platforms are bad in and of themselves. I'm just saying that they lack the relationship needed to absorb truth. They lack the grace that is needed to have loving conversations. See, this is not just about social media interaction. This is about all social exchanges, whether on a screen or on the street. Twitter theology is leading us to a false theopraxy, which is a lifestyle that seeks to know Christ and imitate him in all things. See, the truth is that most of us would rather be right than build relationships. We'd rather launch a truth bomb from the safety of our phones than do the hard work of actually talking with the person that our post was aimed at. See, Jesus talked with people. He did not tweet at them. He did launch truth bombs, but they were followed up with grace-filled invitations to come and be with him to talk about it. For the sake of time, let's take a look at one of the many conversations Jesus had where he spoke truth, but he did so with grace-laced love. The Woman at the Well John 4 records a lengthy conversation Jesus had with a Samaritan woman. And I want to invite you to fight the urge of Twitter theology and slow down with me to actually read these 26 verses of Scripture. Yes, this will be longer than a tweet, but it is worth our attention. Eventually, he, that's Jesus, came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. And he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, You're a Jew. And I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he did and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. 
Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man that you're living with right now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So so tell me, why is it that Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim that it's here on Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while the Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And just then his disciples came back and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what are you doing with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman then left her water jar beside the well and ran back to her village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Thanks for sticking with me. I know that was a bit long, but I believe it was worth it because Jesus made a huge statement with that conversation. See, Jesus chose to build a bridge rather than build a wall. He engaged with someone his culture told him to cancel, and he laced the truth with love. See, Jesus knew the, quote, reputation of her people. Jesus knew this woman's sketchy, sin-filled past and still talked with her, and he lovingly shared truth within this conversation that was rooted in grace. Jesus even called her out for, quote, living with a guy who wasn't her husband. She apparently didn't want to talk about that truth anymore. So did you see that? She quickly changed the topic. And here's what I want us to see. Jesus went there with her. He allowed love to take him down her path. He let her lead their little well side chat. He didn't try to redirect the conversation back to her questionable life choices. He didn't interrupt her train of thought for another shot at the sin that she was committing. He already called it out once, and he didn't feel the need to make his point again. In this conversation, Jesus chose relationship over the right to be right. And what was the result? She led this complex cultural conversation right into the self-discovery that Jesus, the Messiah, was standing right in front of her. He was the truth that she admittedly was waiting for and seeking. She was so shaken by this moment of truth that she left what she originally came for at the well and ran back to her entire community to announce that she had just met the Messiah. 
See, truth that is laced with grace and led by love leads to life transformation. This woman felt the truth of who Jesus was through this grace-filled conversation, and her life was transformed by Jesus' truth. So much so that she said to her entire community, come meet this man who told me everything I ever did. She invited the whole town to meet the Messiah who lovingly called her out on her sin. So let's get back to Twitter theology. No matter the sin, Jesus calls it out in grace and love to call us up into a fresh revelation of who he is. That's how Jesus does it. He doesn't sugarcoat sin, but he doesn't beat us over the head with it to get his point across. He doesn't shame us or label us or cancel us because of our sin. Rather, Jesus invites us into a relationship of self-discovery and self-awareness juxtaposed to his holiness and righteousness. Twitter theology is teaching the exact opposite. Christians feel that it's okay to just call out the sins of people they don't even know, shouting truth with their thumbs, verbally vomiting on followers they've never actually met. Instagram evangelists are putting people in their place without considering that real people with real feelings are reading. Social media martyrs are dying on meme hills without any real relationships of substance. See, God led the Apostle Paul to write one-third of the New Testament, which is quite a bit longer than a tweet. In Romans 2.4, he said that, quote, God's kindness leads us to repentance, end quote. He also wrote in 1 Corinthians 11.1, quote, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, end quote. The Spirit of Jesus led Paul to write at length about God's hard stance on sin. He spent a great deal of time calling out the sin of those he was in relationship with because he established multiple churches filled with sinners who were saved only by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. See Ephesians 2.8. Paul's lists of sins was quite long. And on that extensive sin list is sexual immorality. Yes, this includes a man engaging in sex with another man. It encompasses a woman having sex with a woman, people having sex with animals. Do you know what, quote, sexual immorality also includes? A man having sex with a woman who is not his wife. People viewing pornography. A man sexually abusing his wife in the marriage bed, just to name a few. So I think we get God's point. All kinds of sexual immorality is rampant in today's culture. It was in Jesus' day too. In John 8, a woman who was caught in the act of adultery was thrown in front of Jesus. And culture demanded that she be stoned to death for her actions. But Jesus said, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And when everyone left Jesus, he asked her, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I 
go and sin no more. Full of grace and truth. Twitter theology is just a new way of stoning people to death because of their sin. As true followers of Jesus, we have to be different. I have to be different. Why? Because Jesus was different. He led truth with love and built a bridge to relationships in a diverse culture. And we have to follow his example. Anything else would be representing a false Jesus. Now, before you go, you need to know something about me. I am a sinner. Shocked, I'm sure. See, I believe that I am saved only by God's grace through my faith in Jesus Christ. And I bet that my sin list is longer than yours. And you'd probably say the same. There are sins that I commit that you don't. And you probably indulge in sins that I'm not tempted to engage in. So, I'll leave you with this. What could happen in our world if we built relationships with sinners like Jesus did? Like what could take place in our schools and communities if we actually engaged in conversations and let love lead us? What if we laced the truth with grace? I sincerely believe we could change the world. Why? Because Jesus said we could. I told you that in each one of these newsletter episodes, I would include a reflection or a poem or a song that I have written. So this one is entitled, Fighting for Fatherhood by Kent Chevalier. Been doing a lot of thinking on what it means to be a good dad. When I deep dive on this, it makes me quite sad to discover that most people I know were wounded in some way by a man who was supposed to provide and convey a good earthly image of God the perfect father. None of us can ever measure up to that, so why even bother? The image of God we carry around in our hearts and minds impacts the way we live our daily lives. The worse the father wound, the worse the heavenly father's image. So many enemies can rob this precious stewardship. Satan himself, man's inadequacies, cultural shifts, unforeseen circumstances, and mission drift. A dad's purpose is to love and shepherd his kids, but positions, pleasure, and paychecks become more important instead. Climbing an invisible ladder and impressing your neighbors, this self-inflicted pressure can make a dad's purpose waver. Tightroping that line of authority, encourager, confidant, and friend, a dad's responsibilities will be tested and never come to an end. I've discovered the journey is very exhausting, yet beyond rewarding. No matter how good I think I've done, there's always more I could be doing. I want to be a dad that leads my daughters to lean on God and not on men in all things, but especially when matters of the heart are at hand. The best thing I can do is point each of my girls to God, their perfect father, because I can't even compare to his love for her. I have to wage war on the depressing thoughts in my mind that I'm going to warp their view of God over time. I have to fight to be faithful by loving God and caring for each of them. I cannot be the perfect dad because that role is already taken. 
and trust that God loves each of my daughters perfectly, enough to overshadow my mistakes and the worst of me. I also have to reconcile that wounds are not always inflicted, but scars can still form from words and actions misinterpreted. When God gave me the gifts of each of my three daughters, He also gave me the responsibility of pointing them to their Heavenly Father. I want to steward them in His perfect love and grace, and I have to fight everything else that will get in the way. Oh God, be my helper. Please God, be my guide. It's obvious that I cannot win this fight, so it's in you I abide. In certain newsletter episodes, I told you that I want to give you a heads up about different organizations either I'm involved in or I believe in, or that, man, that I would just simply want you to know about. So speaking of fighting for fatherhood, I want to make you aware of a Pittsburgh event that is coming this June 11th. Man Up is presented by Urban Impact Foundation, an incredible ministry that has been serving the youth of Pittsburgh's North Side for over 25 years. They're bringing transformative hope to Pittsburgh, one person, one family, one block at a time. And Man Up, they're celebrating their 10-year anniversary, and what they do is encourage and teach men to be godly leaders for their families and raise awareness to the devastating impact of fatherlessness in our communities and cities. So I will be serving at Man Up as the MC this summer, so ladies, tell your guys to come. Men, I hope to see you there. For more information on Man Up, visit Man manuppittsburgh.org today. Well, hey, everybody, thanks for being with me today on False Jesus. If you think that this episode is worth a share, man, I would appreciate that so much. Share it out with your family and their friends and tell them to subscribe to this monthly podcast, this monthly newsletter that I've got going on. It will be delivered right to their inbox. Thanks for being with me today, everybody. God bless. Until next time. See you.